good to be in God's house today. I want to continue on in our sermon series, Life is a Journey, and probably one more sermon in this series next week when Joseph and his brothers are reconciled together. What a heart-wrenching moment that that is when you read through that passage and you think about Joseph, who is now 30 years old, had been away. They had sold him at 17. And all those years later, he sees his brothers come onto the scene. And God has promoted Joseph by that point. And it's just a, a heart-wrenching story, but it teaches us so much. And that'll conclude our Life is a Journey series. But this morning, I want to preach to us about a concept called composure. Composure. Look at your neighbor or your friend or your enemy and say to them, Keep your composure. <laughs> Keep your composure. Composure is the state or the feeling of being calm or in control of oneself. I was talking the other week, uh, we were talking about getting nervous and nervous about speaking or nervous about this or that. And I was talking to Bentley, and I can't remember who else was around in that conversation, uh, but I made the comment and said, I get nervous every Sunday morning before coming to preach every single week. And sometimes it's worse than others. Sometimes I would just as well say, I'm staying in bed today. I don't need to, to feel this awful nervousness and this burden. And Pastor Allison can understand that after preaching for 95 years himself, he knows about that, but, but there's a joyful burden that comes with it, but we must keep our composure. Composure is staying calm and cool and collected. I think about an athlete that might be on the free throw line with about two seconds left in the game, and they need those free throws to tie the score to send them into overtime. That young lady or young man needs some composure at that time, or maybe it's a young man or, or in Donna's case, uh, asking me out for a first date, you know, that uh, you need some composure about yourselves. I better quit lying about that, hadn't I? Or maybe it's taking constructive criticism. Have you ever had somebody give you some constructive criticism and you had to keep your composure while they did that? Or maybe it was some unconstructive or unsolicited criticism and we have to keep our composure under those things. They said that public speaking is ranked, I just mentioned a few minutes ago, but when people say what they fear the most, 75% of people said that public speaking is their biggest fear. I looked at some of that and heard about some of that and it seems that a lot of people would rather die than speak in public. <laughs> but composure Composure will help us do things that are difficult, that are hard, that are undesirable. Composure, calm, cool, collected, in control of our emotions. Composure in this life. Composure in the good times. And composure in the bad times. Not getting too elevated or too out of control when things are going well. And not getting too down when things are not going well. But keeping a graceful, godly composure. And Joseph of the Old Testament is a perfect example of someone who kept his composure. 
My first point is this. I'm going to give you some of the practical before I preach a little bit this morning, if that's all right. How we wait is essential to our future. How we wait is essential to our future. In fact, I add it to that little statement with grace. How we wait with grace is essential to our future. We don't like to wait. I find myself, if I'm sitting at a red light and the person in front of me, the light turns green. If they don't move in two and a half seconds, my first instinct is to start to tap my horn. Am I the only unsanctified one here this morning? (laughs) Or I'm sitting there, sometimes I get lost in thought or wherever, and the next thing I know, I hear a little, (laughs) right? We don't like to wait. And there have been times I have caught myself about to tap that little horn, and I'm thinking, we haven't sat here even three seconds, and you're already ready to, you think they're going to You know, just camp out there. You don't need to be so impatient. But waiting is hard, and waiting with grace is essential to our future. God put a dream in Joseph's life, but Joseph had to wait a long time and go through a difficult journey to get to the achievement of that dream and then to be used of God. And we're going to see next week, he wasn't just used to save his family. He wasn't just used to save the Egyptians. He wasn't just used to save people in surrounding countries, but he was used to preserve the family of God, if you will, that later down on the eons of time would bring forth the Messiah to all humanity. This whole story is much bigger than what it looks like on the surface, but he had to wait with grace. Today we find Joseph in the prison. Potiphar's wife has accused him. Potiphar has become upset with him, thrown him into the king's prison. The prison warden, if I could call him that, noticed Joseph. He noticed his character. He noticed his skill set. He noticed Joseph's wisdom. Even in the prison, Joseph was shining as an example of someone who walked faithfully with God. Can I pause right here and tell us, as we are waiting with grace, somebody is watching you. Somebody is watching me. And many times our trials, let me back up, always our trials are working to our benefit. Always. The Word of God promises that. But many times our trials are also, hear this, for the benefit of somebody else. You say, do I have to go through this to benefit someone else? Many times the trials that you are going through, that I am going through, God is allowing that because it's going to benefit not just ourselves, but someone else. And many times the person that is going to benefit the most is someone who is the closest to us in life. That should put our suffering, that should put our trials, our testings, our times in the prisons of life, if you will, in such a greater perspective when we can realize that many times what I'm going through, God is using it in a powerful way. If I will wait with grace, somebody close to me, they are seeing that testimony in my life and it is causing a good work in their life. Others are watching us, many those that many times those that are closest to us. Genesis 39, 21. As we were watching Joseph in this 
prison. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. While Joseph was in the prison, he experienced the grace of God. He experienced the mercy of God. And he experienced the favor of God. And many times, we only experience those things at a richer, deeper level during those times of the prison moments, the trials, the hard times of life, the times that we don't understand why we're going through those things. That brings me to my second point. God often allows us to walk through valleys for our own good. God often allows us to walk through valleys for our own good. Joseph experienced grace at a higher, deeper level. He experienced mercy at a deeper level. He experienced favor at a deeper level because his circumstances were much less desirable than he had wanted. But more importantly, he experienced, hear me this morning, he experienced a closeness in his relationship with God. A closeness in his relationship with God because of the trial that he was in. Let me put it this way. We've just lived through a mild version of a hurricane here in central Virginia, right? We just got a little bit of the after effects. But, but that rain and, and that dreariness and all of that yesterday, that storm, if I could call it that, and certainly it was a terrible, terrible storm in certain parts of the country, but that storm yesterday caused me to slow down and stay in, right? Uh, some of you were out singing in the rain and jumping in mud puddles, and that's okay if you did that. Totally all right. No judgment here. No judgment here, Pastor Brad. No, I don't know what he did yesterday. <laughs> but it caused us to slow down. I stayed home. I didn't even leave the house. Because the rain was coming down and you didn't know exactly what was going on. And everything was canceled. Softball was canceled and everything on our schedule was canceled. And the storm caused us to slow down. Can I tell you that sometimes the trial or the storm in your life or my life will cause us to slow down. And that's not always a bad thing. Sometimes the, the trial, the storm in our lives will cause us to draw Near to each other. My wife made a nice pot of, no one else in the house likes it but me. So I had about number bowls of this soup and cornbread. It's really good. But we were all there, except for Emily who had to take a test somewhere. We were all there together in the house. Sometimes the storm will make us draw near to those that we love, but more importantly, it will cause us to draw nearer to God. You know, if you have walked through a storm, if you have walked through a prison experience like Joseph, if you've walked through a hard time, you know what this pastor is preaching to you this morning, and you know the closeness of God that only comes through the fire of life and trial and storm. Somebody say amen this morning. It causes us to focus on what is important and who is important. 
If we always lived the high life of Riley and we always went from victory to victory and everything was just roses and sunshine, we might forget who's important and why. We might forget about him and our closest to him. But a good trial will put everything back into focus. God often allows us to walk through valleys for our own good. Here's my next point. Now how we continue in our work. While we're in that valley, while we're in that prison, so to speak, is essential to what we'll get out of life, is essential to our harvest. Joseph is in the prison. Joseph has been betrayed and sold like a piece of property from his his brothers. Joseph has been falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Joseph has been thrown in this awful dungeon of a prison. And if anybody had a right to just sit down and pout and be mad at the world. Have you ever been mad at the world? He, he had a right. Fleshly speaking. Right? But what did Joseph do in the prison? He obeyed those who had authority over him. He listened to what the warden said. And so much so that he impressed the warden with his work. Joseph worked Hard. Can I tell you that the time of trial is not the time for us to hang, as the Old Testament says, and the old saints of God used to say, hang our harp on the willow tree? I know Sister Allison has heard that. It's in the word. Not saying that she's old, just saying that she's heard it's in the word. <laughs> but in the trial, it's not the time to hang our harp, right? On the willow tree, like they did. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land, they said. But it's the time to work hard. It's the time to fulfill our calling. It's the time to get up and pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. And be faithful to who we are in God. And to be faithful to what God has called us to do and to be. And get up and get after it and work and be faithful. And Joseph served God and Joseph served others even in this time of great trial. God was watching. God was watching. Can I remind you, friends... We're all friends here this morning. Can I remind you, friends, God is watching. God is watching as we go through the trial. God is watching as we're going through the test. God is watching. He's looking at the integrity of our heart and of our character. And he's seeing our attitude as we go through the prison experiences of life. And God is keeping a record. And I'm not saying that in a bad way because what I see in Joseph's life is God kept a record of his faithfulness and of his character and of his hard work and of his diligence. And God said, I'm going to reward that one day. And God sees that in your life and he sees that in mine and he is determined not just to keep a record, but one day there will be a reward. How we continue in our work is essential to our harvest. A slacker will get a slacker's reward. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a slacker. A slacker will get a slacker's reward. A part-time person, a part-timer, will get a part-time reward. But Joseph positioned himself for promotion even in the prison. Joseph positioned himself for blessing 
even in the prison. Joseph positioned himself for a harvest even in the prison. We might say, but the, the conditions right now are less than desirable, so I'm just not going to give my best. But that's not biblical. What about this one? You can say, I don't like my boss, so I'm just not going to give my best. Or I would say, I don't like my pastor, but I know y'all like me, so well. <laughs> Which I hope that is true. <laughs> you might say, I've been treated unfairly. I've been treated unkindly. Doesn't matter. We're still called as Christians to give our best. Somebody say amen. amen. Regardless, how we continue in our work is essential to our harvest. Let me give you another point. How we deal with waste is essential to our harvest. Joseph might have felt like his life was wasting away in that prison. He might have felt like I really can't do and be who I've called to do and be because I'm supposed to be over there fulfilling that dream. But for some reason, I'm stuck right here in this dungeon and everything is just being wasted and everything is wasting away and I have lost time and I have lost opportunities and I just don't see it happening. But God, get this, God wastes nothing in our lives. God wastes nothing in our lives. What does that mean? Everything that you're going through, everything you have gone through, everything that has happened, God can take it and use it in your life and use it for his glory and for your destiny in him. God wastes nothing in our lives. In fact, many times God uses what's the waste in our lives to cultivate and grow our future. Those curveballs, those unintended detours, those mistakes, those sins even, those failures, those trials. Many times God uses those waste things of our lives to grow us and, and cultivate our future. Let me prove that point very naturally. What's the best fertilizer? The best fertilizer, right, is waste. Some of you farmers are, know what I'm talking about or farmer spouses. The best fertilizer is waste. That's a practical concept, but when you think spiritually speaking, many times those things, that waste that seems to come in our lives are the very things that God is using to grow us. How we deal with waste is essential to our harvest. Am I going to get bitter or am I going to get better? Am I going to reject what's happening or am I going to embrace it and say, Lord, you're going to use this to make me better? Here's my final point, and then we'll talk about the story today. It's the longest introduction in history, isn't it? God has not forgotten me. In the midst of our prison experiences, in the midst of the fire, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the challenge, in the midst of the disappointment, we must always remind ourselves that God has not forgotten us. God has not forgotten me. I think we ought to say that this morning before I continue on preaching. Verbalize that this morning. Would you say it with me? God has not forgotten me. Let's say it one more time. God has not forgotten me. God has not forgotten me. In the story today, Joseph is in the prison. 
He's in the king's prison. And there in the prison, he has with him, among other inmates, he has the baker and the butler. The baker and the butler. I don't know what kind of concoction that the baker cooked up one day to make the Pharaoh mad or if he didn't season it just right or what, but he found himself in the prison. I don't know what the butler did or didn't do or if he slammed the door the wrong way or what they did, but for some reason Pharaoh was angry and Pharaoh threw the butler and the baker into the prison. And there they are with Joseph, and Joseph is over them. The the warden has put Joseph over them and over everybody in the prison. And they come up on a time when Joseph walks in one day to where the butler and the baker sit, and they both are sitting there with sad countenance. This again shows me something about Joseph. Joseph noticed that they were sad. You know, Joseph could have been all wrapped up in his job. He could have been all wrapped up in his situation, his circumstance. But he noticed, he took time, and he said, Why are you sad? Why does your face, your face is, look sad? What's wrong with you guys? And he really cared about them, even in his bad condition. And they told him both of them had had dreams. Each one of them had had a different dream that same night, and it troubled them, but nobody could tell them the interpretation of that dream. And Joseph said, I can help you. I know God, the revealer of all dreams, if I could say it that way. And and God supernaturally gave Joseph wisdom to tell them the, the interpretations of the dreams. And basically, the interpretation of the dreams, the baker was going to die, and the butler was going to be restored back to Pharaoh's service. And Joseph says to the butler, when you go back, remember me. Remember me. And surely he would remember him, right? Surely the butler who has been taken care, whose care Joseph had taken such good care of and, and Joseph had given him the interpretation, the dream, surely he would remember him. But verse 23 says that he was forgotten for about two more years. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Two more years, but God's timing is always perfect. Do you believe God's timing is always perfect? And Pharaoh had a dream. Go with me, please. Let's look at Genesis 41, 9 through 16 of of how God now is orchestrating all of this and, and the time of Joseph's stay in the prison is about to end and God is about to elevate him to the palace Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh saying, I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream and one night, he and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man, this is Joseph, who was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. Now Pharaoh is hearing about Joseph from the butler after two years. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office. 
He restored the butler and he hanged him. He hanged the baker. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And Joseph shaved and changed his clothing and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream. And there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. God has not forgotten you. Joseph didn't know that day when he got up and went about his duties leading the prison, still as a prisoner himself. He had no idea that Pharaoh would be calling his name. He had no idea as he was going about just being faithful to God and living through his trial. He had no earthly idea that it was that day that the butler was in the ear of Pharaoh talking about him and Pharaoh was going to send for him. But when the time came, he got up, he shaved, he got dressed and he went to Pharaoh. He was ready for his destiny. I want to preach to you this morning. I want to tell us don't get so comfortable in the trial and don't get so despondent in the trial that when the time of destiny comes, we miss it. When the time of promotion comes, we miss it because we've just accepted our fate or we've become so bitter in our circumstances and we've just said, I'm staying here. No, when Pharaoh calls his name, he was ready to go to the palace. Joseph comes and by God's inspiration, he interprets the dream of Pharaoh. You might know this story. Basically, I won't get into all the details of the dreams for time constraints. But basically, Joseph says, listen, Pharaoh, there's going to be seven years of plenty. But it's going to be followed by seven years of great famine. Spiritually speaking, God gave Joseph the interpretation of that dream. But practically speaking, God worked in Joseph's mind and gave Joseph a plan. And Joseph said, all right, spiritually speaking, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be a famine after the seven years of plenty. Seven years of famine. But what you need to do, Pharaoh, is you need to set a wise man over all of this. And you need to start now storing up plenty so that when the famine comes... We'll have a plan, we'll have a provision, and we can, we can distribute it to the people. You see, God works in both the spiritual and in the practical. Somebody should say amen. Sometimes we get so spiritual-minded and we forget about the practical. Sometimes we become so practically focused, we forget about the spiritual. But God works in both. Look at verse 38. And Pharaoh said to his servants... Can we find such a one as this, a man whom is the Spirit of God? A man who had been a prisoner just a few moments earlier is now by Pharaoh appointed as the number two in all of Egypt. If it was the United States of America, he would be flying around now in Air Force Two. But since it was Egypt, he was given the number two, it's in there, he was given the number two chariot. I guess that's close enough. He was given a ring, he was given fine linen, he was given a gold chain, and he was given a wife. And all of a sudden, that dream that God had put in his heart as a young man, and all of that journey that he had to go through, 
seemingly in just a few moments of time. It all shifts and he walks into his destiny. And can I preach to you today that all the struggle that you might be facing towards your life's dream or your life's goal or a trial that you're walking through, just a few moments in the presence of God and it can all turn around in God's power and in God's timing. And we can never give up on that but it said that God gave, or that Pharaoh gave him a wife. And over the course of just a few short years, really, not very long at all, he had two sons, and I'm going to close with this. He had two sons. One was Manasseh, and one was Ephraim. And Manasseh's name means, for God has made me forget all the toil of my father's house. What did he pass on there? My goodness, there's a lot right there. What did he pass on to his children? What did he say? Manasseh. I'm going to name you Manasseh, saying that I have forgotten all the toil of my father's house. Saying everything that I have gone through, the betrayal even of my own kin folks, all of that is behind me now. And I have walked into my destiny and I have put all of that aside and I'm walking in the closeness and the nearness of God and I have forgetting all of those things. Paul said, putting all these things behind me, I press forward to the mark, to the high calling of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's something powerful when God takes us out of the trial. There's a powerful second work where he says I'm going to give you grace to forget about it put it in its proper perspective and not let it harm you any longer and if there's something in your life from way back when some trial some bitterness that it still pops up in your mind I want to remind you of of Joseph's son Manasseh for God has made me forget all the toil of my father's house What is it this morning that might be plaguing you from the past that you just can't let it go? That trial that God was working in and now he's even made things right and better and you're more in your destiny. But there's something in the past and God says, I want you to name that child Manasseh and forget about it. Forget about it. Somebody ought to say amen. The other son was Ephraim. Ephraim. And Ephraim meant For God has caused me to be fruitful in my affliction. God has caused me to be fruitful in my affliction. What a legacy that he passed down to his sons and to his family. And I want to close by saying... You know, we pray for our children, don't we? And our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, our great-great-grandchildren. And I want to promise you the Lord is hearing those prayers. And the Lord is working on their behalf. But one of the best things we can do beyond praying for them is to show them the witness, if I could say it this way, of Manasseh and Ephraim. Show them that in everything, in every season of my life, I have not lost the joy of the Lord, which is my strength. To show them I have forgotten the bad things of my life and I'm still sweet and fresh in my walk with the Lord. And to show them that I can be fruitful in my life regardless of the circumstances. To show them Manasseh and Ephraim. What a gift that Joseph passed on to his sons. Would you stand with me this morning? He kept his 
composure. Look at your neighbor again and say, keep your composure. Keep your composure. Look back at them and say, I mean it. (laughs) Keep your composure. For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. When I know those are the end results, when I know that's where I'm headed, when I know that's what I'm determined to pass on to my future generations, then I can keep my composure. And I can say these words, God, I still trust you. Would anybody join me in that prayer this morning on a rainy, dreary Sunday morning in October? When the rains came down and the floods came up and the rains came would anybody join me this morning and declare, I still trust you. I still trust you, Lord. Everything in my life is not perfect. Is everything in your life perfect? I'm still praying about some things to be accomplished in my life. Is anybody else still praying about some things? I'm still praying about some people in my life. Is anybody else still praying about some people in their lives? I've had my feelings hurt before. Has anybody else had their feelings hurt before? I've had my pride offended before. I've been insulted before. I've gone through some rough times and some rough patches. Anybody else can relate? But I'm standing here this morning. God knows my heart today. I still trust you, Lord. I still trust you, Lord. And I want you to declare that with me right now. Would you do that? Would you open your... There's something powerful. You don't have to be loud and and boisterous like me and spit everywhere and throw your hands out. You don't have to do all that. You can if you want. But, But can you... There's something powerful from just speaking it out. Would you just do that with me this morning as we start our prayer time? Would you just say that verbally? Right? Some might say it loud and you might just say it as a whisper. But would you let it come off your lips? Lord, I still trust you. Would you say it again? Lord, I still trust you. One more time. Lord, I still trust you. Do you believe that? Lord, I still trust you. God, we thank you this morning for the witness of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the power of the Word of God. And we thank you, Lord, that we still trust you today. We trust you today. Lord, there are people in this congregation that are praying over other people and their families. And they don't seem to see any traction. They don't seem to see any improvement. But Lord, today we declare you are faithful And you will cause us to forget the toil of our Father's house. You are faithful and you will make us fruitful even in our afflictions. You will birth in us a Manasseh. You will birth in us an Ephraim. And we still trust you. Everything's not roses and sunshine all the time, but we still trust you. Lord, I pray that somehow this word today... And somehow the moving of the Holy Spirit today 
We'll combine together in somebody's life. We'll meet together at a point of faith, at a point of contact in somebody in this building's life. And they can leave this house today saying, come hell or high water, Lord, I still trust you. When I understand, I still trust you. When I don't understand, I still trust you. Oh, Lord. I just, oh God, I wish somebody would get that in their heart today. I wish somebody would get that in their spirit today. I wish the Holy Spirit would solidify those words in somebody's heart and life today. Lord, I still trust you. I still trust you. And you're going to birth for me my destiny. But even greater than my destiny, beyond me into the generations, you're going to birth a Manasseh and an Ephraim and I'm going to leave a legacy that I have forgotten the toil of my father's house I'm going to leave a legacy that I have been fruitful in the land of, of affliction and Lord I still trust you thank you Lord bless your people this morning bless your people this morning let me just ask you today maybe a little different altar call than normal is there one, or is there two, or five, or six, or eight, or twelve, or twenty that would want to just come and stand here in this altar with me this morning? Anybody want to come and stand right here in the altar and just declare that again? Lord, I still trust you. I still trust you. Lord, I come physically to the altar I come not out of routine, I come not out of obligation, but I come and I stand in an act of faith this morning and I declare to you today, Lord, my trust. I stand before you in the sanctuary of the house of the Lord. I stand before you and in your presence and I declare, I still trust you. Go ahead and declare it this morning. Go ahead and pray it this morning. Go ahead and let it get in your spirit today. Go ahead and let the Holy Spirit confirm it to you today that the Lord is always working, that the Lord is always hearing, the Lord is always moving, and I'm on my way to my destiny. I'm on my way to the dream. I'm on my way to the where the Lord has taken me. But on the journey, I will not lose heart. I will not lose hope. I will not be discouraged. I will not sit down and pout. I will not sit down and wring my hands. But God has been faithful to me. And God will be faithful to me. And I still trust you, Lord. I still trust you, Lord. Go ahead and declare it this morning. Go ahead and speak it out this morning. Go ahead and have yourself a moment with the Word of God and with the Holy Spirit. Let Him solidify that in your heart and in your life this morning. I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. When the rains came, when the winds blew, the house still stood because the house was built upon the solid rock. When the earth all around me is sinking sand, when even those around me might build upon the sands of this world, and the storm comes and it's all washed away, but my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus and His righteousness. I have built upon the foundation 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my house will stand. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joseph birthed a Manasseh and an Ephraim. And mom and dad in this altar. Grandmother and grandfather in this altar. I believe the Lord through your life can birth a Manasseh and an Ephraim. And you say uh, they seem to be so far from where they need to be. But the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. And would you join me right now? That song, Brad. They didn't sing it this morning. But that song they sang last week. That, that our Lord is a firm foundation. A rock on which I stand. And then it goes on to say, He has never failed me. Right? And we were talking about that in the hallway the other day. Brad and I. And Brad was talking about that that's a, such a fitting song for our church right now. And I agree with that. And Friday, I, I stilled away a little bit out on the parkway and had some time, just me and the Lord. And I intended, as I was walking, to do some, some praying. And I did a little bit of praying during that time. But really, all that happened, Brad, was that song just kept rolling over and over and over in my mind. He won't fail me. He won't fail me. My life is built, our church is built upon a firm foundation. And the Lord is doing something in my life. And the Lord is doing something in your life. And the Lord is doing something in our church. And that song just over and over as I was walking and the wind was blowing a little bit and it was dark and overcast because the, the storm was getting ready to come in and I, I was gauging how long should I walk. I don't want to get caught out in the rain because I would melt and, you know, all those things. But he is a firm foundation. The rock that I'm building on and over and over and over that song. And then, the night before last, which I guess was Friday night, all through the night, that song, over and over. He is a firm foundation, a rock on which I stand. He is a firm foundation, a rock on which I stand. And he has never failed me yet. Has he ever failed you? And he has never failed me. And all night long, and it was as if the, maybe the Holy Spirit was just singing it to little old me. All night long. God is a firm foundation. And I want to share that with you because he's your firm foundation. He's your rock. And he's never failed you. And he won't fail you. And he won't fail your children. And he won't fail your grandchildren. And he won't fail to hear the prayers of this church. Would you just grab the hand of somebody beside you and can we pray for the generations of this church before we leave this house? This well, I know it's a little different today, but that's all right. Join your hands in agreement this morning. Can we just begin to pray right now for the children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren of this church? Lord, we pray right now. Lord, I see all over this altar children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren that are represented all across this altar Lord that need the Lord Jesus Christ in their life they need that firm foundation 
And Lord, you have never failed us yet. You have never failed us yet. Not one time. And so, Lord, by faith believing, we're praying for the children of this church. We're praying for the generations of this church. We're praying that you would raise up Manassas and Ephraims, Lord, that would know the faithfulness of God in this present generation. You have not failed us yet, Lord. And God, as you have stirred my heart as the pastor of this church, even through Jill singing that song last week in the praise team, and even through Brad and his comments in the hallway, and through the Holy Spirit stirring me on my walk the other day, and all through the night as you stirred me, and you have reminded me that what we are praying is going to happen. You have reminded me that it's not just vain things that we're beating the air against, but you have reminded this pastor that you have built our lives and our families and our church and our children upon a firm foundation. And God, we are claiming nothing less. We are accepting nothing less. Let faith arise in our hearts and in our lives and let the Holy Spirit begin to draw in the children of this church the grandchildren of this church, Lord, from the oldest to the youngest, those that are near and those that are far, those that are spread out across this country, even in other states, it, regardless, God, we are praying them in, in faith, believing, standing upon the firm foundation. God, this is a work that you started in this church long before I came here. It is a generational work. It is a generational anointing. It is a generational calling upon this house, upon the family of this church and this body of believers and we stand in agreement today we stand in agreement and even in authority with what you have done and what you are doing and what you are going to do we stand in agreement we we call those things that are not as if they are we consider it done we consider it accomplished this morning as we pray under the authority and the unction of the Holy Spirit standing upon your word praying in alignment of your will for this church and for this house and for the families of this church. Every single one of them, every single one of them, Lord, that they would be drawn to salvation and the purpose for their lives and to be used mightily for you, mightily for you. Move upon the Nortonsville Church of God. Lord, move upon this beautiful congregation that's standing here this morning and raise us up, God, into this new season that you're bringing us into. Even as we build upon the foundation, we build upon the foundation and move into this new season that you have for us, this new work that you have for our church, that the work that you are doing that we sense in our hearts and in our lives. God, do the work, perform it in us and through us and among us, God. Call people into ministry. Lord, send people into ministry, Lord. Move mightily upon your people. Save souls. Let this church impact the community that is around us. Let us meet the needs, Lord. And let us be a light that shines ever brighter as we build upon a firm foundation. And remind us as individuals that you have not ever failed us. You have never failed us. And we trust you today. One more time. I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. One more time. I trust you. You, Lord. Let it get in your mind. Let it get in your heart. Let it get in your spirit. Leave here and hang on to it all week long in the middle of the night when the enemy's trying to pull you down, when the, when the frustrations arise as they do. I still trust you, Lord. Do you believe it? Say amen. Amen.
and amen. God bless you this morning.